This morning, we are going to be doing a quick adjustment here. Um, Will, you can go ahead and bring the lights up. Uh, there's going to be a group of people getting up here on stage, getting ready to share verses that they've been working on memorizing. And uh, so I want to remind you, we, we've done this once before. This is our second time uh, to attempt this. And uh, the hope is that as we are, one, hiding the Word of God in our hearts, it, it helps us to learn to love Him more effectively. Uh, it, it also is a reminder to us of the importance of the Word. Now, I'm, the, if you remember, the first time we did this, we focused in on our values. The, uh, out of the name Grove, we have these five things. And I'm going to talk about this in my uh, season's article, by the way, just to give you a little heads up. But um, Grove stands for God's glory, relationships, opportunities, vibrant, and everyone, that we would want to be respectful of everyone that comes to the, to the church, and we can hope that they come to Christ. So that, those were the first um, five, the verses operate around those first five values. This morning, we're focusing on our marks of ministry. And so if you remember, I'm going to ask Pete to duck just a little bit, um, or, or move. Um, out, of, out of this logo comes the idea of the marks of the ministry. I say out of the logo. It just helps us to remember those things. The marks of ministry are those ideas, the values, or um, uh, concepts that we want mature disciples to possess as they grow in faith in Christ. And so the first, if you look at this little worshiper guy here, um, the first kind of leaf on the right rec- represents this idea that God is other than us. He's transcendent. He's not actually connected to the figure in any way. And so it's the highest point. Uh, it reaches to the highest point. So it's the idea that we'd be worshipers of God. The second leaf over there on the left, it starts at the knee, that we'd be people of prayer, that our prayer would, when we bend to the knee, it takes us to a relationship with the Lord. Then the, the head, we would have minds for the truth. And so obviously this fits right in that. As we memorize Scripture, our minds would be soaking in the truth of the Scripture. Uh, we would, at the center of the, the joint where the arms come together, that we would have hearts to steward God's resources, that we would have hands to serve, and then we would have feet to go. So this morning, all these verses have that kind of um, tie to those marks of ministry. So are you all ready? Is anybody nervous? Not yet? Good. Okay. I, I, I didn't tell you this, but I'm going to ask you if you can tell us what the reference is, if you can remember that, but maybe before you say the verse. Okay. All right, Josh. Let me actually, before you do that, let me pray for us. Okay. Heavenly Father, for everybody who's up here sharing verses, for some that are going to be um, included by way of uh, video because they're out of town or something else has gone on in their lives, Lord, we just pray uh, that you would use these verses to encourage all of us here. Not only those of us who have memorized the Scripture, but everyone else as, as witnesses to this as well. And so, Father, we do this to honor you, not as uh, a praise to our own abilities or anything like that. Lord, this is just a commitment that we've uh, engaged in to honor you and your Word. So, Father, I pray that you would bless these folks as they share, take any nervousness away, and Lord, let us be effective as we do this. In Jesus' name, amen. This is the New King James Version. First uh, Chronicles chapter 16, verse 23 to 29. Sing to the Lord, all the earth. Proclaim the good news of his salvation from day to day. Declare his wonders among the nations. His, uh, declare his glory among the nations, his wonders among all peoples. 
For the Lord is great and greatly to be praised. He is also to be feared above all gods. For all the gods of the peoples are idols, but the Lord made the heavens. Honor and majesty are before him. Strength and gladness are in his place. Give to the Lord, O families of the peoples. Give to the Lord glory and strength. Give to the Lord the glory due his name. Bring an offering and come before him. O worship the Lord in the beauty of holiness. Psalm 86, 8 through 10. There is none like you among the gods, O Lord, nor are there any works like yours. All the nations you have made shall come and worship before you, O Lord, and shall glorify your name. For you are great and do wondrous things. You alone are God. Mark twelve thirty, And thou shalt love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. And then I'm, in Abigail's absence, I'm also going to read hers as well. It is Romans 12:1. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. The hour is coming and is now here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth, for the Father is seeking such people to worship him. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. John 4, 23 and 24. Do not merely look out for your own personal interests, but for the interests of others also. Have this attitude in yourselves, which was also in Christ Jesus who, although he existed in the form of God, did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself, taking the form of a bondservant, and being made in the likeness of man. First of all, then, I urge the supplications, prayers, and intercessions, and thanksgivings be made for all people, for kings, and all who are in high positions, that we may lead a peaceful and quiet life, godly and dignified in every way. This is good, and it is pleasing in the sight of God, our Savior, who desires all people to be saved and to come to the knowledge of truth. First Timothy 2, 1 through 4. Ephesians 1, 6 to Okay. Ephesians 1, 16 through 21. I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him, having the eyes of your hearts in mind, that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you, what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints, and what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe according to the working of his great might that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion, and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. Matthew chapter 6, verse 7 through 13. And when you pray, do not use vain repetitions as the heathen do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. Therefore, do not be like them, for your Father knows the things that you have need of before you ask him. 
In this manner, therefore, pray. Our Father in heaven, <laughs> hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. <laughs> Romans 12, 12, rejoice in hope, be patient in tribulation, and be constant in prayer. For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh. But those who live according to the spirit set their minds on the things of the spirit. For to set the mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the spirit is life and peace. For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God. For it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. You, however, are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if in fact the Spirit of God dwells in you. Anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to Him. Romans 8, verses 5 through 9. Verses 5 through 9. Have minds of truth. Roman, Romans 12, 2. Do not be conformed with this world, be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is good, acceptable, and perfect. Matthew 27, 37. Above his head they put the charge against him, saying, This is Jesus, the King of Jews. Philippians 4, 8, and 9. Finally, brothers, whatever is, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is anything excellent, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. What... What you have learned, what you have received, heard, and seen in me, practice these things, and the God of peace will be with you. Excuse me. The natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are folly to him, and he is not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. The spiritual person judges all things, but is he himself to be judged by no one? For who, for who is able to understand the mind of Christ as to instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. 1 Corinthians 2, 14 through 16. And now I commend you to God and to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and to give you the inheritance among all those who are sanctified. I coveted no one's silver or gold or apparel. You yourself know that these hands ministered to my necessities and to those who are with me. 
in all things, I, hold on, in all things, I have shown, I have shown you that by um, helping, I'm sorry, working what? Sorry. That by working hard in this way, we must help the, help the weak and remember the words of the Lord Jesus, how he himself said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. Galatians. Galatians 5.13 For you were called to freedom, my, my brothers, only do, only do not use your freedom for an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. Then the righteousness will say to him, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you? When have we seen you thirsty and not give you drink? Matthew 25.37 Deuteronomy chapter 8, verse 18. And you shall remember the Lord, for it is he who gives you power to get wealth, that he may establish his covenant, which he swore to your fathers, as it is this day. 2 Corinthians 9, 6 and 7. The point is this. Whoever gives, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. First Peter 4.10, as each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as, oh my goodness, as good stewards of God's varied, varied grace. Whoever speaks as one who speaks the oracles of God as one who serves, as whoever serves, as one who serves by the strength that God supplies, in order that in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. To him be the glory forever and ever. Amen. Matthew 28, 19 and 20. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Acts 13, 47 through 48. For so the Lord has commanded us, saying, I have made you a light for the Gentiles to bring salvation to the ends of the earth. And when the Gentiles heard this, they began rejoicing and glorifying the word of the Lord. Uh, and, and as many as were appointed to eternal life believed. Romans 1, 16 and 17. Uh, for I am not ashamed of the gospel, because it is the power of God that brings salvation to all those who believe, first to the Jew, then to the Gentile. For therein is the righteousness of God from faith to faith as it is written. Romans 10, 14 through 15. How then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how will they believe in him of whom they have never heard? And how will they hear if, if, no, if there is without someone preaching? And how will they preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. Let's, let's give 
everybody else a round of applause. One more time. You guys can be seated. Thank you so much. So I know that some of you guys may find that like very, very different, um, which again, we've, we've just started doing that this year, but it's been, I think, a great exercise on a number of, for a number of reasons. And so I want to especially thank everybody who has participated in this. Um, I also want to say this. I know she's not here, but um, I want to make sure that we acknowledge uh, Jessie Jones. Uh, she did just a, a phenomenal job, especially being uh, as close as she is to her due date. Um, I think it's November 8th. I'm getting it right the, this time. Is that, I got it right? Yeah. Um, so uh, when you all see Jessie, make sure to say thanks to her again for all that she did to, to uh, make sure that everything went well with the fall event last night. Um, if you have your Bibles, I want to ask you to turn to Psalm 46 to start with. I think that's the right one. We're also going to be in Psalm 139. That's partially why uh, Rob introduced us to that song this morning by Shane and Shane. Um, and uh, I think it's a, it was a great song. And, and so it may have felt a little bit out of context in some ways, but ultimately I, I just really think it's a, a great psalm and we're going to unpack that this morning. Um, let, me, let me have a word of prayer for us again and then we'll get into the message this morning. Heavenly Father, Thank you for this day. Thank you for the opportunity that we've had to serve you in so many uh, ways already as a church body today. And, and I pray that as we get into your word, that your spirit would speak to us. Lord, let it not be about uh, my own thoughts, but Lord, let it be clearly what your word teaches us. And so, Lord, as we also consider the, the truth of the, these passages of scriptures that reveal your majesty and your glory, uh, Lord, it's important for us to recognize truly that those things are represented in Christ um, and not just represented in a, a uh, metaphorical way, but Lord, he is the exact imprint of your nature. And so as we consider these things, Lord, we, we want to be impacted. We want to be transformed because of these truths. And Lord, I know that oftentimes we can come into a, a service and just think about the transformation that happens in what we learn. But Lord, it is far greater than that. It's about our dependence upon you. It's about our, our uh, working out our faith with fear and trembling. So today, Lord, I pray that your spirit would move within each of us, that you would take these thoughts and you would shape our hearts and you would shape our minds. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, if you remember, uh, so where we are is we're in this series that we've titled The Pillars of Our Faith. And last week, we looked at this idea of what is God like, uh, looking at his uh, attributes, especially dealing with immutability, um, and that, that means his um, unchangeableness, if I could just put it in that kind of English. Um, the, the word immutable is the proper theological term, and I think it's the easiest one for us to grasp. Um, and it just means that God does not mutate, he does not change. And so when we look at that, that's a foundation for what we understand about God and other attributes. So when we look at who God is um, this morning, who is God or who God is, we're looking in, at these concepts that are based or founded upon His immutability. And we're going to be looking this morning at the essential attributes of God. So if you think back last week, I introduced this uh, catechism question to us, and I don't expect you to memorize it um, necessarily. I think it's a good tool. So if you are into those things, I, I certainly would encourage you because it, especially it's helpful for children um, as you're helping them form their doctrine. But this, this fourth question of the Westminster uh, Shorter Catechism, it's, it asks, asks this question, what is God? 
And the answer is, God is spirit, un, uh, infinite, eternal, and unchangeable. In his being, wisdom, uh, power, holiness, justice, goodness, and truth. You can tell I'm a little rusty. Last week I had it down. I didn't review it as much this week. Um, so let me repeat that. God is a spirit, infinite, eternal, and unchangeable. In his being, wisdom, power, holiness, justice, goodness, and truth. And so when you think about all of those qualities or those, those attributes of God, we recognize that ultimately they're founded in His being. And, and so this morning, that's what we're going to begin to look at. So I, I want to um, address this idea um, about these essential attributes of God, because the, the essential attributes are those things that we begin to understand about Him according to His nature and His being. The, so, so when we think about like the immutable attribute of God, uh, or the, the, the God's immutability, that attribute, we, we begin to, it's like, how do you really understand that, that He doesn't change? We, we get it through Scripture, but, but it's hard for us to really get our minds totally wrapped around, because we change right? And, and to, to understand all the implications of how God does not change, is, it's difficult in some ways. But what we need to understand is if we get that foundational uh, attribute down and we, we, in such a way that we can begin to comprehend it, we see how it impacts every other attribute of God. And that's why we need to start there. So the essential attributes are in a similar way as, of that. Um, they are, there are ideas about him that we begin to understand, but they're not so much about his relational attributes, okay? So, so you're, you're starting to hear some terms that are maybe a little bit hard to understand, but let me explain this. Essential attributes would be things like his uh, omniscience, his omnipresence, his omnipotence. Those, those words, now if you're maybe not familiar with those, it's that idea of omni is, means what? All, right? This is talk back. Omniscience, what does omniscience mean? He's all-knowing, right? Omnipresence, all-presence. He's all-present always, everywhere, okay? And that doesn't mean he's in the stones or the rocks or the walls. That's, it's, it's not in that kind of metaphysical sense, okay? But he's present in his spirit with us everywhere, okay? There's uh, also the omnipotence. What does that mean? all-powerful, okay, that he's all-powerful. So we're going to look at those in the psalm this morning. What distinguishes those essential attributes from his relational attributes, think about when we talk about, I think Michael talked about faithfulness. Um, I haven't gotten a chance to go back and listen to that, um, but that's what we talked about, you teaching on, so that was that. Faithfulness is a relational attribute because we see how God is faithful. What would some other relational attributes be? Come on, y'all. His kindness, right? That, that he would display his kindness through things. Um, what would another one be? Love, thank you, okay? What else? Say, say it real loud, Tony. Justice, that would be one that's relational, that he, he shows his justice when sin needs to be uh, corrected, okay? That he's also trustworthy, that he keeps his promises and fulfills those things, okay? So even though that sounds similar to faithfulness, it's, it can be a little bit different, okay? So those, you start seeing the difference between the attributes, right, and those essential qualities and then those relational ones. So let's look at Psalm 46, verses 1 through 3, and this will give us a good indication of, of this, I think, quickly. So if 
you have your Bibles, look at this with us. This is to the choir master of the songs of Korah, according to Alamoth, a song. God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear, though the earth gives way, though the mountains be moved into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam, though the mountains tremble at its swelling. You hear those relational attributes right there, right? He's great. He's, uh, he's a refuge. He's a strength. He's a present, ever-present help in trouble. Those are relational attributes about what we identify about him working in our lives and how we understand him to, and experience his relationship to us, okay? Very different from the essential attributes. No, let's look over at Psalm 139. This is going to be our text for the morning, and we're going to jump in, and I'm going to read the whole psalm, okay? So hang on. You ready? Everybody there? I hear some pages turning still. Fingers tapping on tablets to get there. Okay, Psalm 139. To the choir master, a psalm of David. O Lord, by the way, I want to make sure that we note this really quickly. If you look at that first word, or two words, O Lord, the word Lord is in all caps, okay? That is significant. It's signifying the proper name of God, Yahweh, okay? That is called the tetragrammaton, if you want to get into a Hebrew le- lesson. Um, and, and that proper name is, is the identity. We, we get the idea of I am, that I am from that name, okay? Now, that's important because the psalmist is addressing the Lord himself, the person of God, not just the things he's done. Does that make sense? It, this is about the contemplation of the person of God. Okay, so now let's, let's continue. Oh, Lord, you have searched me and known me. You know when I sit down and when I rise up. You discern my thoughts from afar. You search out my path and my lying down and are acquainted with all my ways. Even before a word is on my tongue, behold, oh, Lord, you know it altogether. You hem me in behind and before and lay your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is high. I cannot attain it. Where shall I go from your spirit? Or where shall I flee from your presence? If I ascend to heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in Sheol, you are there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there your hand shall lead me and your right hand shall hold me. If I say, surely the darkness shall cover me and the light about me be night, even the darkness is not dark to you. The night is bright as the day, for darkness is as light with you. For you form my inward parts. You knitted me together in my mother's womb. I praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works. My soul knows it very well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was being made in secret, intricately woven in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw my unformed substance. In your book were written every one of them, the days that were formed for me, when as yet there was none of them. How precious to me are your thoughts, O God. How vast is the sum of them. If I would count them, they are more than the sand. I awake and I am still with you. Oh, that you would slay the wicked, O God. O men of blood, depart from me. 
They speak against you with, a, with malicious intent. Your enemies take your name in vain. Do I not hate those who hate you, O Lord? And do I not loathe those who rise up against you? I hate them with complete hatred. I count them my enemies. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts and see if there be any grievous way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. Wow. I, I, I'll be honest. As I landed on this topic in this, this psalm, I just thought this, this could be a psalm that we spend months on. We're not going to do that, okay? Um, but, but I also feel like there's going to be a point we come back and look at this psalm again. We, we typically don't focus in as a church on like specific days of the year, um, but the Lord really is impressing me that we may need to come back and, and look at this psalm again as we think about sanctity of life issues this year. So we're not going to unpack that portion, but I, I would encourage you to recognize that, that in this passage, it, it, as we deal with these essential attributes of God, is that key passage about us being formed uh, by God's work in our mother's wombs. It's, it's an incredible passage. But what we are going to look at is these three concepts of God's omniscience, His omnipresence, and His omnipotence. So let's look at these things. First of all, as I've already mentioned, we need to understand that as David is unpacking this or as he's writing this, what, what he's doing is he's setting this aside, or this thought aside as a contemplative I, or contemplative idea of worship to the Lord. This is not just about all the things he's done. This is about who God is. And I, I think that's important because I would venture that most of us in, in our daily routines, maybe even in our weekly routines, we don't stop long enough to contemplate the person of God. Does that resonate with you like it does with me? I want to see the things that God does. I like go to Him with my prayer needs, and I'm hoping that He responds to my prayer needs instead of really sitting and soaking in His presence. And I was so convicted about that as I was thinking through these concepts. And by the way, these concepts are things that I'm writing about in my dissertation, so this is like a whirlwind of stuff for me. It's, it's just like so much bubbling over. But, but I, I want us to make sure that as we think about the person of the Lord, we recognize His majesty, His splendor in such a way that we would stop, that we would contemplate the grandeur of God. Rob, again, thanks, man, because it's been a while since we've done the song Indescribable. It just, it just like such a good song. Like it, maybe that's a song you plug into your playlist this week to go back and just maybe resonate to, to some of the things we're talking about, this idea of what God is like and who God is, that that would be a reminder for you just to meditate on the indescribable person of uh, who, who we worship and serve. So omniscience contemplating the person of God. Here's what he does. First of all, he highlights this idea of us, of this, this God, our true and living God, being the one who knows all of our thoughts. Now, here's what's interesting, though. So, let's go back and look at this. In verse 1, he says, O Lord, you have searched me and known me. Now, this idea of searching, I, I think we get a wrong idea in our minds from what the Hebrew really means here. 
When I think about the idea of searching, I think about a police officer uh, maybe stopping someone on the road, and I'm sure you've seen this, where there's multiple cars, uh, police officers pulled uh, one vehicle over, and they're pulling all this stuff out of the trunk and doing stuff. They're probably looking for drugs, right? Or I think about maybe police officers, the, the TV shows that you watch where they, they go through a house, and they're searching for a criminal or something in the house, and they're having to clear the rooms, right? They don't know where those things are, so they're having to explore and pull things out. Does, does that make sense? Is that what y'all think of when you think search? That, that's kind of my idea, okay? The Hebrew is totally different than that, and I think this is why we need to understand this, because if God did not have an understanding about what was in us, what we were thinking, that would mean that He changed in His knowledge, but we already know that God does not change in His knowledge, that's the whole point of omniscience. He knows all things, and he doesn't expand his knowledge in any way. Therefore, searching in our current era, like mindset about searching, can't be what it means. So the Hebrew, interestingly enough, means this. It emphasizes an examination to expose weakness. <laughs> doesn't that make a little bit of difference when, when you read it that way? So, oh Lord, you've Examine me and search out my weakness, and you know me. And, and whoa, it's like how humbling that is. So immediately when I think about David contemplating the person of God, it's to recognize that he is not. He may be the king. He may be writing these psalms and, and leading folks in worship through his work, but he is humble before the Lord because he recognizes that only the Lord knows all things. And he's unchangeable in that knowledge. So it's convicting to me to recognize that as the Lord examines me, he sees my weakness. Yet what does he still do? He still loves us, right? How precious is that? And, and so when we think about this, the examining, it's, it's as if he's, and let me not leave it here, he searches the secret corners of our lives. Our hearts and minds are fully exposed to Him. How much stuff do you think you get away with? Boy, it's easy for me to go, I'm driving, nobody, I, nobody knows who I am, I'm speeding. You know, there's so many little things I try to get away with in my day. Just little things. The Lord knows every corner of my heart and mind whether I'm being rebellious, whether I'm being foolish, whether I'm being negligent, whether I'm trying to be obedient. He knows everything. We need to recognize that, and it changes how we how engage with Him. So, so I would also remind you this, because of these things, because the Lord is omniscient, there's nothing that surprises Him. Isn't that good news? There's nothing that catches Him unaware. Therefore, you see how because of his omniscience, we can trust him. You see how that starts to play into the essential attributes, play into the relational attributes. So, I, I want to point these things out to you. He knows our actions. He knows our thoughts. He knows our plans. Here's a good one. He knows our needs. I don't know what your need is this morning, but the Lord knows it. He knows it before you even pray for it. He, he is faithful in everything. He knows your greatest aspirations or dreams. He knows your intents. And 
more than just knowing them, he knows them with full comprehension. Does that make sense? It's like nothing can surprise or catch the Lord unaware. Even when we think we have certain aspirations, he knows how those things are developing in us to the point that we might finally fully see those things come true. He knows us that well. That's why he's worthy of worship. That's good news. Now, the, this knowledge of God, and I think this is one of those things that we need to understand too. Because he is immutable, and I'm going to go back to our, our question, the catechism question real quick. We, uh, as I shared that with you, it talks about God being a spirit. Now, listen to these terms. He's infinite and he's eternal in all of these attributes. So why is that significant? It means this, that his knowledge, in his knowledge, it is an eternal knowledge. There's nothing that we can do or bring up that will surprise him. It's, it's, he's not going to gain anything from us. He, he's not going to go, oh, I never thought of that before. Or I didn't, I wasn't aware of that. All of eternity, his knowledge is established. I, I, I don't know about you, that, that just stretches my thinking. It, it makes me realize that this God that we serve, the true and living God, is amazing. He's worthy of a worship because there's no one else that can do that. There's no idol, there's no false God, there's, there's no uh, demon. No one else can possess this kind of knowledge. Look at verse 6. So he goes through these, and I'm going to read through a little bit of this again just to focus in on this idea of omniscience. O Lord, you have searched me and known me. You know when I sit down and when I rise up. You discern my thoughts from afar. You search out my path and my lying down and are acquainted with all my ways. Even before a word is on my tongue, behold, O Lord, you know it all together. You hear all that? You hem me in behind and before, and you lay your hand upon me. Such knowledge, verse 6, this is why this crescendo comes up here in, in David's mind. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is high. I cannot attain it. What, what a verse. Rob, that's, that's why I think this morning as we were trying to sort out the lyrics, that jumped out to me, that, that the, Shane and Shane, um, they, they capture that thought that the knowledge of God is high. We cannot attain it. He's worthy of our worship. So then, David shifts from this idea of omniscience to this idea of omnipresence. Look at verse 7. He says, where shall I go from your spirit? Or where shall I flee from your presence? If I ascend to heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in Sheol, you are there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there your hand shall lead me and your right hand shall uphold me. I say, surely the darkness shall cover me, and the light about me be night. Even the darkness is not dark to you. The night is bright as day, as the day for darkness is as light with you. So here's what David is doing in this psalm. It's so interesting. He uses actually a couple of literary devices. The first one is he asks these rhetorical questions. What, what is the typical use for a rhetorical question? Come on, y'all. Jeff? The answer is implied, right? And so you're not looking for an answer to be given. 
And that's exactly what David's doing. He's, he says in verse 7, where shall I go from your spirit? No answer. Because there can be no answer. There's no place to go from his spirit. Look at the next one. Where shall I flee from your presence? There's nowhere that we can get away from God. Though we try, we cannot escape his presence. The second literary device, this one's kind of fun to me. He uses um, these, these uh, uh, contrasts where he's talking about one thing and then contrasts it with another. Look at these. He says in verse 8, if I ascend to heaven, you are there. Then he refers to Sheol. So it's like the height and the lowest place. But we can't escape. Then he, he looks at this, verse 9. I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea. So it's like he takes the idea of the bird flying freely, just having awoken or awakened, and it's deciding to, to leave the nest and it goes to fly through the skies. There's, then he goes to the depths of the sea. Whatever creature lives in the depths of the sea, David hasn't plumbed that. He doesn't know. Uh, he, he could have read Job and known about Leviathan or something like that, but he didn't reference that, but he just said the depth of the sea. So it's the, the skies and the sea. There's no place to go. And then he talks about this in verse 11, the ideas of darkness and light. And even saying that to the Lord, darkness is as light. Now, I personally think that that also might be this idea of time. So that, uh, because you think about the passing of the sun and the moon, or the, the sun, and we see the morning, the, e the evening, and night. So that presence, the omnipresence of God is everywhere all of the time. Does that make sense? Amazing. It's, it's beautiful picture, beautiful imagery. Then, though um, omnipotence is not as obvious in this text, it's still present. So I want to go back and look at this. So look at verse uh, 5 with me. So he says, you hem me in behind and before and lay your hand upon me. When you think about something being hemmed in, it's not like the hem of a garment. It's, it's this idea of like a pen, um, something that's going to uh, hold a, a, an out. Like I'm, I'm thinking, has anybody seen the new show Crocodile? Um, Hunter's this Australian guy. It's like you had the, um, what was the, the show from Louisiana? Um, somebody help me. That was, the, it was the guys who would go hunt the alligators in Louisiana. Swamp, swamp people, thank you, thank you. This is kind of like that, except it's Australian and he's, he's doing crocodiles. So you got, you got a, the crocs down there. Um, and then they, they use some really weird words and they, they throw up all the text on the, what the word means. It's helpful. Um, so anyhow, I'm thinking about what he does to, to trap the big giant crocs that are like 11 or 12 feet, um, too big to be messing with. But they use a pen. They, they basically have these cages that they set up. That's what it means to hem them in, that they have limits so then they can control them and get in and start tying them up. The idea here is that we are hemmed in behind and before. That the Lord is the one who holds us. And that idea of omnipotence is that he is the one who is making sure that our lives are contained properly. It's his power by which he does that. That doesn't need to be lost on us. Look at verse 10, because I think this is, uh, again, it's, it's revealed here. Even your hand shall lead me, and your right hand shall hold me. Isn't that a helpful picture of how God operates in his power towards us. There is always his presence leading us. There's always his presence upholding us, his strength in his power. He does those things for us. And then look at verse 19. 
Though this is a little bit different, here's part of the, 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 the context, is David is constantly in a struggle with his enemies. He, he's, his, the foreign uh, foreigners who wanted to overtake Israel, he was constantly battling them. He's also having internal battles in his kingdom. And he was frustrated that the Lord wasn't correcting those things or disciplining them. But here, what he recognizes is the Lord will do that. So look at verse 19. He says, And oh, that you would slay the wicked, O God. O men of blood, depart from me. They speak against you with malicious intent. Your enemies take your name in vain. Do I not hate those who hate you, O Lord? And he goes on. But here's what he's getting at. He knows that in due time, the Lord will through his power, his, according to his omnipotence, mete out justice and discipline on his enemies. We know that the Lord is slow to anger, that he's long-suffering. And David, in a sense, acknowledges that. He's not saying that, it's not, that the Lord is not able. He's just saying that the Lord will do that in a due time. Now, all of those things help us to understand these three essential attributes of God. But here's what I want us to do now. I want us to quickly look at a couple other passages. Turn over real quick to Ephesians 1. And I'm going to get to brag on my daughter for a minute. Sweetie, you did a great job sharing those verses out of Ephesians 1, 16 through 21. Do you want to come quote them again for us? You can? <laughs> I know you can. We're not going to have you do that. But here's what's interesting. When you, you think about the attributes of God in His person, our Heavenly Father. What we also have to recognize is those attributes, those same very attributes, are also represented or are contained in, they're part of the essence and being of Jesus Himself. Does that make sense? Because they are one. And we've looked at that several weeks ago. So when we're thinking about the omni, omniscience and the omnipotence and the omnipresence of Christ, those, those things are not uh, operating in His incarnated body, they're still present with him in his divine person, okay? So let's look at Ephesians 1, 16 through 21 real quickly. This is Paul writing. He says, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you a spirit of wisdom, of revelation, and the knowledge of him, having the eyes of your heart enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you. Now listen to this, okay? Because this is what, where I'm connecting the dots. When we think about what God has done in Christ, this establishes our hope. So he said, the hope to which you've been called, what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints? And what is the, now here's where it gets interesting, what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe? So it's, it's an immeasurable power towards us who believe. According to the working of his great might, so we're hearing this idea of omnipotence, that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at, the, at his right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. And he put all things under his feet and gave him his head over all things to the church, which is the body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. Do you hear how in Christ... The omnipotence, the omniscience, the omnipresence of God is established in him. This is transcending just the Old Testament. It comes to the person of Christ. Turn over to Colossians 1 real quick, just a couple pages over. Colossians 1, verses 15 through 20. 
Again, this is Paul writing to, to the church of Colossae here. He says, he is, referring to Jesus, he is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him, all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body of the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. For in him the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of the cross. I know it's Paul writing, but he's writing to different churches, but you hear the similarity in those two passages about the person of Jesus being the, all authority, bearing witness to all these attributes. So I was looking at this, and, and I, I wanted to see what Spurgeon said. Here's what Spurgeon said. It's a great statement about Colossians 1, 15 through 20. He says, power, wisdom, truth, immutability, and all the attributes of God are in him being Jesus and constitute a fullness inconceivable and inexhaustible. Wow. That, that just summarizes this so well. Because in Jesus, we have to recognize He is the same, what? Yesterday, today, and forever. Immutable. In Him, the fullness of the deity is, dwells. He is the fullness of of God, let that not be lost on us today, because that truth sets us apart in so many ways. Because I want you to think about this. In Christ, everything that we need to relate towards God is supplied. Whoa. Everything that we need to relate to, to God is supplied in Christ. And, as amazing, everything that God does towards us is fulfilled in Christ. Christ is enough. So, I want you to think about this. What is it that you want? A lot of times, I, I think we ask that question, and we immediately think of worldly things. Like, I, I want a new boat, or I, I want a new car, or I want a new motorcycle, or I want a new computer, or I want this, or I want that. I'm not talking about those things. What are the deep things in your heart's mind and soul that you really want? Peace, hope, security. I could keep listing them. You probably have a lot of other answers. That's fine. I want to assure you of this. In Christ, all those things are met. See, I think about this. And I'm going to begin here because the first thing that we need is for sin to be overcome. Go back to what we talked about at the beginning of Psalm 139, that in, when the Lord searches us out, examines us, looks at all the dark corners and places that we want to hide, sees all of our weaknesses, inconsistencies, needs, He knows those. And in Christ. That's what we find. So when sin has impacted everything, it's only in Christ that do we find the forgiveness or remission or cleansing of sin. We find the pardon of sin. We find a remedy for sin. And we find provision. 
Christ is, is the answer. We want to persevere in life. Guess what? Christ is the answer. Because he who began a good work in us is what? Faithful to complete it. You see how in everything, Christ is the answer. He satisfies our deepest longings. So, this morning, we're going to wrap up right here. I want to, I want to throw these final thoughts to you. How is it in your life, and, and, and we're all going to be guilty of this at some level, how is it in your life that you are being robbed of hope? How is it you are being robbed of peace, those things that we long for spiritually? Because the truth is, that's where our real struggle is, because our tendency is not to look at Christ and see Him fulfilling all these things and finding how God is searching us, knowing us, how He is present with us, and how His power is effective in us. See, when what we do is we get caught up in sin, and those things, uh, and the, the com- contemplative things of God and His essential attributes are taken away from us. They diminish. We don't glorify them. We, we don't rest in them. And so our security is diminished or depleted. But when we return to God and we focus on those things, our hope is restored. That, that's the promise. So, so what is it in your life that is robbing you of the hope and the joy of experiencing these things according to God's purpose and plan for you. Whatever it is, I want to encourage you, identify it, confess it, because the Lord will forgive our sins. That's what the Word says. He is, when we confess our sins, He is what? Faithful and just to forgive us our sins, and not just to forgive them, but to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. That, that's the hope of the gospel. That's what Christ is working in us according to these essential attributes. So I don't know where you are, but I trust that you will do business with the Lord this morning. And I want to especially say this. If you're here and you've not surrendered your life to Christ, why? Why not? What would cause you to hesitate And that knowing that God's perfect plan of redemption was to work in your life through Christ to give you freedom from sin, to give you the hope of eternity with Christ. All you have to do is confess your sin and and confess that Jesus is Lord, believing in your heart that God raised Him from the dead. The Scriptures say you do those things and you will be saved. So what we're going to do is we're going to bow for just a minute. We're going to spend a a minute in prayer. Rob's going to come lead us in just a minute. Uh, with the song. And I want to offer you this as a time of prayer. What is it that you need to surrender to the Lordship of Christ this morning? Maybe it's you personally. Maybe it's some sin. Maybe it's some habit. Maybe, maybe it's just the recognition that you need to, to spend some different time and be more disciplined to contemplate the person of God. I don't know what it is, but I know this. We can trust the Holy Spirit to meet each one of us exactly where we are, personally, so that we relate right to Him. He knows each of us individually. We didn't get into that, but that's that whole idea of how we are uh, fearfully and wonderfully made. As individuals, He knows you. He knows your bents. He knows your temperament, your personality, every quirk, and He will speak directly to you. So I want to be quiet this morning, and I want you just to listen.
and pray to the, to, the, to the Lord, asking Him to search you, to show you those areas that you may be falling short in, and just to, to ask Him to work in your life. So let's, let's pray together. Heavenly Father, before I'm quiet, we just submit ourselves to you. We ask that you would move. We ask that we would be ready to respond. Lord, that, that as you speak to us, taking the thoughts of your, your word, that you would transform us. Lord, that you would create in us new hearts where we may have fallen short. Lord, and if there's someone here that doesn't know you today, I pray today that they would have the courage to maybe come talk to me afterwards or talk to someone else and get the counsel they need about what it means to be a person of faith walk with Christ as Savior. So Lord, I'm just going to be quiet for a minute. We're going to allow everyone to, to do business with you personally and individually. Heavenly Father, we are so grateful that your word reveals you to us, that you have inspired men of God to pen these things that we might understand and know you. And Lord, though we can't do that in full comprehension, Lord, there's certainly enough of the word that reveals who you are that we can begin to understand. We are so grateful that you are too high, and we can't attain your knowledge or your wisdom. Lord, it's a, a reminder that we are not God, that we often try to be and want to be. I mean, we may say, no, we don't, we don't really think that, but Lord, we certainly act it. Lord, that's, that's what happened with Adam and Eve in the fall, and we've continued to, to bear that burden. So Lord, let us be reminded as we contemplate you that we are not God, you are. And as we do that uh, work of contemplation, or that we would worship you for who you are, and it would impact our love for you, our obedience to you, our confidence and assurance of how you operate in our lives. Or let us remember that you are a God who never changes, you are omniscient, omnipresent, and omnipotent worthy of our worship. So Father, now as we stand and we sing this, this song of reprise for the morning, be glorified in this place through our hearts and our minds as we lift our voices together. In Jesus' name, amen.